0: Hello, everyone. I'm KWW's Greg Willandini, and this is the K W Philly Soccer Show.
1: I am Mike's video from Philly Soccer Page.
0: And on the line with us this week, we're going to have the tactical master himself, Mr. Adam Kahn from Philly Soccer Page. And he's going to just going to break down the season so far, break down the 3-3 tie against Montreal, and just kind of let us know where this team stands.
1: Do you want to know something about Adam Khan that, that maybe you don't know?
0: Uh, I'm a little worried, but go ahead.
1: I, I think uh, he retired the yellow card leader of West Philly FC, our club team.
0: Good to know. So let's, uh, let's stop to Adam. On the line with us, the tactical master, the strategic genius, Adam Khan from his uh, going, undis- from his undisclosed location somewhere <laughs> in a bunker, <laughs> bunker in, middle, in Texas in Texas, <laughs> uh, awaiting the impending doom. Um... So we, we actually shockingly do have a lot of things to kind of plow through. Um, you know, terrible game. Yeah, we got a to at pe- at, at talent, whatever it's called. Who cares? <laughs> what it's called, at talent energy field, um, <laughs> terrible game on Saturday, and the
1: uh, it was almost not terrible. It was very close to not being terrible. It was not terrible for for like forty minutes.
0: Then it became very terrible. Um, and also the salary. We had a big salary dump as that happens every once in a while. Earlier than usual this year. But uh, So we'll get to those things. But Adam, um, <laughs> so you did the, uh, as you always do, the tactical breakdown of the Union game against Montreal at home. Where did it all go Where wrong? Where did it all go
2: wrong, Adam? Where did it all go wrong? Well, I think... <laughs> If you had to say where it went wrong, it was probably in the roster construction way back in the offseason. But uh, in the specifically
1: past on games, Saturday, where did it go wrong? We've tried to address yeah. that in, in a number of ways over the last couple of weeks. In but, the uh, beginning,
0: God made man. No, <laughs> yeah, <so>. yes,
1: <laughs> yes, and then and
2: then eventually he got around to the union and just didn't have enough time left to put it together. <laughs> so where, no, did, it, where think, did it go wrong on it, Saturday? It, on Saturday, it it went wrong when the union once again, weren't able to adjust once their high press stopped being effective. If you look at the past two games, and you know Jim Curtin said this in his press conference, the high press has been effective for about a half in each game. Um, and especially on Saturday, you could see that the Union had a real plan to get behind Oyongo, uh, the left back for Montreal, and really run at Laurent Simon, who's a good defender, but a very aggressive defender. And the problem is once... The Union couldn't establish possession. All they had was that one outlet, and Montreal was pinning everyone back by pushing a Ayonga way up the field. And so that they probably figured out how to attack the Union after about 25 minutes and really made it effective after the third goal, which was kind of a fluky goal for Montreal to give up. But you can see it start going wrong around the 25th minute when instead of dropping one midfielder back to, to build up play, they stop, start dropping Bernadello back, and then they drop a second midfielder like Bernier back, and it pulls Madunian in out of the center. Montreal rotates the ball to the left, attacks, pushes Alliango high, and the Union were never able to get out once, um, once they had no outlet on that side. And so it was from the 25th minute on, I think you can start to see the cracks, um, even though the Union were ahead and you know on the scoreboard looked to be cruising.
0: I don't know about you guys, but you know, I I see Piotti's goal at night when I try to get to sleep. In the oh, last man. few days,
1: I, uh, did you? Did you, I don't know if you guys were following PSP on Twitter, but I I tweeted right before Piotti scored, like like literally within like thirty seconds before he scored. Like all the Union need to do right now is get into the halftime up 3-0. So it was your fault, it, and I I deleted the I tweet because it, it went <laughs> up so fast, and I was just like crap. So um, I'm sorry for jinxing it, everybody. But
0: but I I think. If you look at that goal, and I've watched it a few times, that really kind of lays bare what you were kind of saying there, that Montreal was able to kind of create space in the middle. Minunian, who's not a great defender, they went kind of right at him, and he kind of did a no well, uh,
1: Adam and yeah. I were were texting about this goal right after the game on Saturday, and it's just like how many union players can you point to that had a little bit of fault in that that goal you, uh, know, I, you know I think, I think four five and, and even <laughs> Al- Alejandro Badoya says in his presser that he should have fouled and then he says Chris Pontius should have fouled and at that point but Junior is pointing. I don't know who he's pointing to I assume uh, to it, I assume or, it was Elliot yeah. or me. <laughs> um, but a, like a lot could have gone, I don't know if he wanted one of the center backs to step
0: up, but a lot could have gone wrong then because then then it and opens up. You got up, a player in behind. So you yeah. got a player in behind, and it opens up. You know, a, a through a through ball. But um, just look at the if you look
2: at that goal, and I think this is what was you know got my got my hackles up right after the game. Just the number of the number of Union players who not only like Michael saying could have done something, but look like they didn't know what to do. You know, like that it really gets me that that is the situation that Piotti's putting the union in and no one really has an idea of who's supposed to step or when. I mean, if you look at the defensive line, Elliot and Marquez end up at the penalty spot, if not deeper uh, and still haven't stepped up, which is, which is just kind of crazy. And, and I think that's, it's just one of those goals where you look at it and you go, man, this is, this is every single type of mistake the union have made over the course of the season mm-hmm. wrapped up into one neat little bow and, you know, you know, given away to Montreal by the best player that they have and the threat that you knew was coming. That's what's so crazy. You knew it was coming.
0: Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we talked about the press. I mean, you, you talked about it in your article, your tactical article. And again, just kind of rewatching the, the second half. I mean, the union was a very leggy team by that point and they don't, they have the press or they have nothing, and they kind of – when they run out of gas
1: – And they have no possession.
0: It, it, they had no possession I mean, what, what it, Montreal
1: no, possessed them, what, 70 to 30? It's
0: close to that, I think, or something. Yeah, something they had no possession, and their press broke down. So they were just chasing the ball all day, and they just looked dead tired by the end of that.
2: Yeah, and, and I, it's it's interesting because Jim Curtin made the point in his press conference, and he's right that you got a lot more work rate from Roland Allberg in the center – but you didn't get uh, you didn't get the sort of I guess smart pressure that you wanted um, because all that defensive work left him in such deep positions that the Union had no way to transition out of uh, out of their own half if they ever got the ball. I mean, Elberg was working back, but then once he worked back, he wasn't finding any positions through which he could be an outlet. And and I asked I asked this question to Jim Curtin in the press conference because it is curious. I'm 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 kind of curious what you guys think. How are the Union supposed to be creative with a, uh, you know, a central attack midfielder who plays like a second striker and Elsignio who hasn't even shown, you know, even modest signs of being a creative presence this season as the only guys in the final third who even seem like they could be capable of being creators?
1: Uh, that's that's a, that's <laughs> that's a, a great question. question. That is a great question. Well, what was Jim Curtin's answer? <laughs> Just to <laughs>
2: recap it for those that didn't watch. <laughs> Well, uh, Jim Curtin's answer. If you if you've seen Jim Curtin answer any questions at all this year, you know that he said, um, "We need to get those guys the ball in better positions, and we need to get them the ball more." It's the same argument he made with Bedoya when Badoya was playing at the ten. I mean, it's it's pretty much a way of saying, uh, "We don't know we don't know how we're supposed to do it, but we know what we're supposed to do." And I think that's that's probably. What's worrying is we've gotten that. We don't know how we're supposed to do it, but we know what should be happening. Well, uh, I, answer all season.
0: I think it goes to two things. Number one, you mentioned it, and you've been talking about a lot, roster construction, number one. Number two, formation. And mm-hmm. this team has changed things. You know, they, they flip-flopped their wingers in this game. They bench Keegan, Rosenberry. We can talk about the merits of that in a bit. Um, they've changed, you know, defenders. They've put Alberg in. They've done... They've changed those things, but it's still the four-two-three-one, which mm-hmm. goes back to construction of the roster. Which I don't think this team is constructed to run that formation right now, because as you point out, they don't have a number ten that sits there and pulls the strings. And
1: you haven't fielded you, you're a playing, six in you're, two
0: weeks. You haven't. Field, yeah, your number six was Harris, and by his own admission, he's not that guy. So again, you're yeah. playing a guy out of position. Uh, um, you know. Badoy's look better at the eight. He's, you know, I think he seems like a more productive player at that position. But again, you know, they're they're living and dying by this formation, and this formation's not giving them anything.
2: Yeah, and uh, you know, I would even say that since Bedoya was moved back, it it looks more like a four-one-four-one. You know, with if you if you look at whenever the Union get hit in transition, it's it's incredible how how well Medunjanin gets back into that spot you know five yards in front of the center backs Uh, but then it's sort of disappointing to see where he goes from there because that's pretty much he knows he should get back there but he's not going to cover much ground on either side of that that little you know central channel Um, and so it almost ends up looking like a 4-1-4-1 because he drops back there so quickly that you rarely see Bedoya moving into that zone Um, and so Bedoya is instead patrolling that sort of right channel and you don't get much dynamic movement between him and Ulberg in front of in.
1: Let's 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 talk about Harris a little bit because one of the things that I've suggested for four or five weeks now is is moving him further up the field and maybe even trying him as the ten. Is this crazy? Like I I think he's the the best passer in the midfield, and if you get him further up the field, he can make a key pass further up the field. I, I mean, maybe. You you know more about tactics than I do, Adam. So maybe you can tell me why this is a bad idea.
2: No, no. I mean, well, it's it's a. I I don't disagree with that being a a good potential solution, partially because, and this is going to be my next comment, with with the Rosenberry switch, with uh, Elliot switch, with Sapong starting, with um, Bedoya moving back, and Madunyan in. You know, sitting more. You're kind of running out of realistic changes that Jim Curtin can make um, given the roster that he has. I, I mean, I, I think Greg's got a good point that they have stuck with this three-man midfield, which just seems kind of ineffective, and they could go to a four-four-two or a three-back system if they really thought it would work. But uh, I mean, I think Madunian into the 10 is, is one of the last real moves that you can see, see them making, maybe start Picot. Um, but on the flip side of that, I guess my question to you guys is in, in what sense is that sort of different than what the Union struggled with a couple of years ago, which is Christian Maidana as your creative presence? And Maidana was a guy who was really great at putting that final ball in, but at the same time, he needed to be in these, in these really advanced areas and have time to look up and pick out his spot. And I, I guess is that, is that how we see in being effective further up the pitch, or is he going to be able to sit in that central area, draw players in, and quickly make passes off to runners with his back-to-goal? Because we haven't seen him with his back-to-goal, and that's something Bedoya mentioned when he was moved deeper. I think it was an interview with Dave Zitlin. He said, you know, it's, it's difficult playing with your back-to-goal. It's very different. It's a different experience as a midfielder. So what do you guys think? I guess, how do you envision Medunian being involved in that more advanced position? Because that's, that's something that I have, I have struggled to sort of work out in my head.
1: Well, I, th- I think that's the, the, the one thought of, of moving him up to the 10, or the, the other thought is moving him back to more of an 8, and and slotting um, a, a number six in behind him, whether it's Jones or if you want to try mm-hmm. Crevalle or or Cower or something, and you know I know that that's pushing Bedoya out of the position that he's kind of craved. Um, I don't think we need to see any more of Alejandro Bedoya at the ten. I, mm. I, it doesn't work. <laughs> let's let's never see it again. But the, I mean, you do have you do have another space for him because he can play either wing, um, and certainly you've not gotten. Anything out of Vilcino, you've gotten very little out of Chris Pontius, who I thought was a little bit better on Saturday, but definitely faded uh, in the second half. Um, so I, I think there's there's a space for him out on the wing that you know he can still still run around and, and be quite effective. Um, you know, and I saw I saw uh, Kevin Kincaid put this in his uh, analysis piece yesterday that Toya operates so much on the right, no matter if you have him in the center or mm-hmm. not. Why not just move him out to the right? right. I mean, I, I know that there's there's some natural inclination for him to move to the right because Harris tends to move to the left as a left footed player, and I, I understand that. But there's, there's it's so right sided mm-hmm. when you look at Bedoya's heat map, it's 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 really kind of crazy. So I you know I think those are your two options with with Harris at this point, where you can either try him at the eight or you can try him at the at the ten. Um, I I can't see keeping running him out as a six, particularly when you're bleeding goals the way you have. You need you need to get right. You need to get your 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 uh, midfield destroyer back in there. Mm-hmm. You know if that's going to be Jones or probably uh, maybe Creval. Um, no, those yeah, are. I, I, <laughs>
2: let let me uh, sort no. of adding on to that from Kevin's analysis piece. I, I I noticed that too, and I'm 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 kind of curious going forward. It, it, it's been really noticeable that teams attack the Union up the Union's right. Yes. um mm-hmm. all season, and they've. They've attacked Rosenberry, and I, I know that you know Curtin said you know it's a chance to give him a break. That's why we took him out. But it's also noticeable that it's not just that Rosenberry's playing poorly; it's he's reacting to what teams are doing to him, and they're clearly identifying that he got caught forward last season, and now they are trying to go after him before he has reestablished his position. And it's it's been effective, and that might also have to do with you know Ilicinio playing in front of him the past few games. Uh, you know Ilicinio not great defensively. Um, but I think that also contributes to, to Bedoya, since he's moved deeper, struggling to get, I, I guess, across the entire field. He needs to be on that right side to help defensively, and especially when the Union struggle to possess, he's not getting out of there. I mean, where's when is he going to have any time to move off of that right wing when every time the Union lose the ball, they're being punished up that up that side, and he's got to come and play help defense. Um, so I'm I'm not sure that's that's not something that would change if the union were able to establish more possession. Um, I also think something about Pontius that's bothering me is that he, he's such an effective player in the final third. He wins so many aerial challenges. It's adding Bedoya as a wing player and as a guy who can go box to box and transition the ball from back to front instead of Pontius means you can sort of use Pontius on the far side as the guy that you target. And I think that's probably how the union envisioned things playing out with Medunian in originally and i think that badoya still gives you on the on badoya on the right gives you the best chance to use Pontius in his best position and that's something that Curtin has talked about all season and uh, getting those good players in the best positions and i really think it's hard to argue that badoya on the right is not uh, you know a change that could be beneficial
0: interesting <laughs> Radio- Um, just to kind of get to your uh, kind of answer your point about Harris, and um, it would be interesting at the ten because, like Mike's been saying, he's the only guy that you have any confidence in getting a really solid pass, on the people, I mean, uh, Roland does that occasionally, but. We're seeing that's not his game. He's he's more of a.
1: He's got a couple of nice ones in the game. You know, yeah, I he, thought he had a ping in the first half yeah. of that game that was about a sixty yard diagonal that he mm-hmm. that he dropped on a dime. That was
0: oh the Pontius. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah that, that's that, that, that's that's awesome. Yeah, but that was, was the only one. It was really nice. It created a chance. <laughs> but, um, but
1: did he did he have another through pass?
0: No, I don't think not. Not that I, I call, recall. I mean, he's not a guy. And again, he uh, did uh, not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not he's not a guy you know Al- alberg's like a, a, a supporting striker i think that's kind of what his game is he's not a guy that stands there puts his foot on the ball and kind of pulls the strings he's not a trinqueo Bonetta. um H- harris could be that guy and I, I like adam's point you know talking about madonna he could be a kind of guy like that where he gets advanced he, he could put his foot on the ball he could look around he could try to pick things out and you know, maybe three or four of his passes don't work, but he might get that one that, that really clicks and he could spring us upon. He could spring somebody off the wings, and, upon us, you know, like you were saying, spring upon us and get him into the final third mm-hmm. and get him into the box and let him create an attack. You know, and we, we're talking about these. These are all like, these are all band aids, though. A lot of these things we're talking about. Not so much the Bedoya thing at the right. I think that that would probably work out pretty well just because he gives you more defensively and he gives you that that kind of that engine that up in that box to box engine that, that you kind of need. Uh, but some, some of these other things we're talking about, they're just band-aids almost.
1: Well, I mean, that well, we, we have to talk you, in band-aids right now yeah, though. I mean, no, there's, we're, we're, there's there's not an imminent signing. There's not a guy that we've, that we know that they're, they're bringing in when, when the Europeans League European leagues close. Mm-hmm. So we, we have to go with the band-aid solutions right now. I don't, yeah. I don't think that there's a way to not do it. Yeah. Well,
2: no. I, I think it's, I think it speaks to these are off season questions. I mean, when, when, you know, and they, they spoke so highly of, of being sure that Bedoya would be the 10, and then, you know, we're, we're forced to abandon it so early in the season. Now you're left with all these off-season questions, which are where are the, you know, the, the quote-unquote star players supposed to go? And, and you know, you when Curtin says you want to get the best guys in the best positions, that I mean, there's some truth to that, but they, they don't even seem to know really where those best positions are. They have a sense of where Medunian is, is and that's facing forward which is sort of why i think they're so hesitant to put him at the 10 and and see if he can produce the same sort of um you know creativity with his back to goal um but with Bedoya, you're talking about moving over the wing that's a third different position for a guy who really you should be building a team around not not fitting into a team and and i keep coming back to this question roster construction and it 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 always builds up to the same question i so i'll throw it to you guys right now it's kind of a big one so you don't have to answer right now but if if you could trade the roster of the union for the roster of any other team and what what other team isn't i guess would you not trade for the union hmm. is that's a bad way to ask that, but i guess which team which other team in the league would trade their squad for the
1: union squad well I mean they're the worst team in the league yeah. who would do it they' they're they they literally they have what four less points than everybody else yeah I mean, so no but one. I mean that's you
2: could you could argue. I mean, a lot of people are going to argue that's a, that's a Jim Curtin issue, right? In which case, then then yeah, you might you might say it's not that bad of a squad. It's just poorly run. The real but like real the real question is if you could take this roster and and trade it for a different roster. If you're a Union fan, is there any team you don't do that with? That you don't say let's trade um, your roster for mine straight up?
0: Maybe Minnesota. Maybe Minnesota United. <laughs> um, yeah. Um,
2: yeah, even even then, at least you have you have a you have creative attacking there. presence. Yeah,
0: it. yeah. I mean, well, even Montreal, and they're struggling; they're leaking oil, but they have. I would trade so, seven
1: <laughs> union players for Piotti. They
0: have. They still have so many yeah, creators and, and on tabla, that. Yeah, guys that cr- can create on that team, and we saw that. And. and
1: well, let me let me ask you guys another question then, too, because this this was something that you texted me last week, Adam, uh, about uh, Greg Berhalter in Columbus talking about the outside backs, you know, which one, quote I'm yeah. talking about. You know, yeah. And Adam sent this to me as saying, you know, Greg Berhalter said, we invest a ton of money in good outside backs mm-hmm. for our system because it's integral to our system. Yeah. The union run a 4 2 3 1. What are the positions that are integral to running the 4 2 3 1 and have the union invested the right money in the right players for those positions? First, identify um, well, the it, positions for me. Is its it 10? Is it 6? Is it 8?
0: I think it's probably that midfield triangle, you are 6 8 10. It's probably. In, I'm correct. Yeah, you, and you, and I, I defer to Adam. Shirt. I defer to Adam on this yeah. because you're the, you know, the tactical guy, but that. That triangle of your your you know, your defensive midfielder, your your shuttle or your box of box guy and your creator, I think in this system, those three guys are probably your most important because they kinda of, everything kind of flows through that and they, you know, Go ahead. <laughs> you, you, you can could think, probably no, say I what think I'm, I'm bridge, thinking better than I'm right. saying yeah. it.
2: No, you're, you're, I would say you're spot on because I, I guess there are two ways to approach it. And the, the way I would argue is probably, uh, you know, going to be most effective give you the most number of ways to win is building from that central three, because the four, two, three, one, the four, three, three is like the four, four, two. And that you, once you, once you figure out how those central three are supposed to play together and work together, then you can, you can build out around that and say, okay, do we need then, do we need uh, wingers that get behind the defense or do we need wingers, that are gonna um, be creative players, right? So do you need the the creative type of wingers like uh, like Bayern Munich is gonna have, or do you need wingers who are gonna fly up and down uh, that wing and get forward, and then also just you know, hustle and get back? And I think you're gonna build from those middle three. What are those middle three going to do? What are their roles gonna be? Are the, you gonna have like a uh, Colorado system where you're gonna have two of them sitting deep and breaking up plays? Or are you gonna have sort of invert that triangle and, and be more attacking? And so I think from there, you have a good idea of, uh, of um, what your team is going to look like. So, yeah, you want to define early. And I think if you look at Jim Curtin's quotes all, not this past off season, but the one before, every every time he was asked about the team, he went back to, look, it's Naguera, adu and Barnetta, and we're building off of those three. Mm-hmm. And and that's sort of why you expected the Union to be so proactive about addressing their problem with defensive midfield, um, because it, it seemed well, all right, we know we're losing Barnettis, We know he had to fill that role. They keep saying Bedoya, but we don't have any, any natural answer at number six. So clearly they're going to address that, and that's going to tell us where Bedoya ends up and where everyone else is going to end up. And when they didn't do that, I think we've been stuck in this weird place ever since of going, what exactly is the middle three doing? And, mm-hmm. and Derek Jones, starting from the first game, told us they don't really have a good sense of what that middle three is going to be doing, and it's going to be different based on who's available and who's in confident mode right now.
1: My <laughs> i i do, i do want to get to some of the salary stuff but yeah, I, there's one more tactical thing i think yeah. I, I want to talk to you about Adam with and that's that's the the striker position um oh, i thought God. i thought <laughs> 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 I, I thought c j had a pretty good game on uh on saturday uh i think he he scored he set up a goal yeah. uh he was fouled a lot. I'm still I'm still amazed that Simone made it through that game without even getting a yellow card, let alone the, getting a red that card. R-
0: that ref should be reffing you know, under 8's 5-on-5 five five this week yeah. because the fact that Simone... I think it was his only his
1: third or fourth MLS He's the game. He's a younger guy. Man, I think no. the, the
0: fact that Simone ended that game on the field is a travesty. <laughs> Not even on the field with no yellow card. He never yeah. got carded. You didn't got three yellow cards to Montreal's one. Insane. Anyway, go Simone, ahead, sorry. had two he had
2: two yellow card fouls in the first half. He had yeah, the one yeah. where he, he got where pie. He stuck his boot directly into CJ, and then he had the other one where he wrapped his legs around CJ's legs. I mean, those are both either one of those or both you can see giving a card and it's very hard to argue. Yeah. Um, so,
1: yeah, yeah to, to go back to the striker position hard. though, CJ is doing okay this year. I think this is I, I think he was in a, a, a huge funk at the end of last season. That, that seems to be gone. Um, I think he's playing a lot better. There's no one else, though. There's no striker on this team. I have not seen a thing from Jay Simpson. I know he had the, the nice goal against Toronto and, and about 15 minutes of hard work in that game, but has not shown a single thing since then. What are we doing at yeah, the striker? position? We haven't even seen Charlie Davies make the bench yet. Yeah, what, What's that all about? I mean, you're, pay, you're paying the guy $114,000.
0: And I made this point to Adam in an email, and it's depressing that I'm thinking in these terms. But you're paying Charlie <laughs> Davies, and you know what I'm talking about. You're paying Charlie Davies uh, whatever you're paying him. You gave up cash and next year's number one pick. And if this death spiral that this team is in continues... That would have been a very high pick. I think it would have been the second it could have been it wouldn't be this first overall because LA uh, LAFC I think gets that because they expansion team. It, it could, could be as been, high as two. It could be as high as two or three. If if this if trends continue. And the fact that I'm thinking about this in April is depressing, but you know, that's what I'm thinking about. So they they could have give, they could have gave up a lot for Charlie Davies and he's doing what?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I I mean he-
2: He's not even really in the discussion. I mean, you no. heard Curtin make comments about Paco playing up top, but not really Davies.
0: Yeah. he doesn't has make the eighteen. It. I mean, no. has he made the eighteen? No, not he once has this year. No, I don't. He's not. Is he playing with Bethlehem? I don't think no, so. I don't. know. No, he's uh, no, not featured for
2: Bethlehem. I, don't uh, know.
0: I mean, no, and that's. I mean, that's he,
1: with Simpson out, he hasn't made the team.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's true too. You know, yeah. Jay Simpson missed it. So I.
0: I and know. half a million dollars to Jay Simpson for. <laughs> <a, laughs>
1: you paying five hundred thousand dollars for. For a guy.
0: That's kind of tumbled down the leagues in England uh, through his career. I mean, his
1: team was going out of business. Uh, Yeah, uh, (laughs) the 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 Leighton Orient administrative staff was tweeting from the Leighton Orient account last week that they had not been paid in two months. Yeah, not 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 the players hadn't been paid. Who also haven't been paid? The whole staff. They weren't paying their medical staff. Uh, They they were getting sanctioned by the the FA in England. You you could have offered Leighton Orient. You know. $7. (laughs) seven dollars <laughs> yeah there Simpson and they would have been like all right yeah that's' that sounds just, like seven dollars we didn't have before yeah. and the, and the other thing is and it
0: goes back to what Adam say Adam's been saying roster construction
1: you can't play as a lone striker this
0: guy obviously doesn't fit into what you got what you're trying to do <laughs> and they were banding about you know he, oh he could be our Bradley Ray Phillips what, what planet
2: <laughs> what what no, planet did that
0: thinking come from
2: I, I mean that's it's it's crazy that that he keeps getting the Bradley Wright Phillips comparison as if as if just sort of following, this like being in the same region in the same <laughs> level of a of a league is any reason that a guy should come to MLS, and and act the same. You know, it's it's completely ridiculous. It, and the, the really scary thing about Jay Simpson, I, I think, is that you look at Jay Simpson and he's still he's another player like in who when when the signing happened, you go, all right, well, what is this tell us about how the union are going to play. And then you go, I I don't know. It's kind of confusing, just like every other signing. It's just sort of confusing. He doesn't play like CJ Sapong. Um, He requires a lot of service. And um, the union have done a terrible job of getting their fullbacks forward to provide service. And they don't exactly have wingers who are known for their service. Um, So you, it's really confusing. He's not, he's not a speed guy. He's not a size guy, obviously. Um, he doesn't have a great touch he hasn't earned a bunch of fouls he, he, he doesn't seem to to offer any clear answers except that he was affordable and has uh, you know a short if uh, stunning track record over the course of one season and a pretty sad track record. I think over the course of the rest of his, his professional life he has as many goals as he did during that one what was a 25 26 goal season that he had.
0: I, I don't think you're um, wrong. No. He, and I don't... he
2: just doesn't answer any answer any questions. And I, I mean, I don't know about you, Mike, but I don't—I don't even quite know what to expect if you had a CJ Sapong, uh, Jay Simpson pairing up top.
1: I mean, I think the the hope would be if you had a pairing like that is that. Uh, Jay Simpson could work off of CJ Sapong. You fire a ball up to CJ Sapong, who could knock it back, and then Jay Simpson can either go at a defender or keep possession, and they could go from there. So you have two guys kind of holding up up top. Mm-hmm. Um, what what you do with those two guys um, as a, as a tandem trying to work together? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you you could do besides besides that. <laughs>
0: I, I honestly and I you know I I'm not even here to blame Jay Simpson. I mean this this is a guy that has a certain possibly limited skill set, you know, and needs to be in in the right position to score goals. And you got to think that the team knew that that they weren't just, oh, we're just going to grab this guy out of England, we're going to throw him in the roster and kind of whatever happens around him is going to happen, but he's going to find goals. Every
1: Leighton Orient fan told us the same thing when the union signed him and we asked on Twitter was that He's a decent player if you get him service. Yeah. There's, there's this, the, the, the union team is not set up to, to have service. There's, there's it's not, there, there's just not, not, not <laughs> wingers that are getting to the end line to cross the ball. There's, there's not a, a, a 10 that's playing the ball in or around people. Um, there's, there's, there's not a lot of service. So, yeah, that's, an, that's another player that yeah. I think you brought in that doesn't fit.
2: I mean, I think the, the more the more you think about it, when you when you think about how the roster was constructed in the offseason, there are very few tactical or strategic ways to look at this roster and say this is built to do X, Y, or Z on the field. But when you look at the ages of the players that they brought in, you can say this roster was built to be quickly disassembled when, when the union are ready to think that they have the pieces in place either from the academy or from elsewhere in MLS to, to put together, a, you know, a team that's going to compete. Um, this is a team that can be dissected very quickly and pulled apart. Um, but I, I think something else that I, I know this wasn't on our list of subjects, but I want to ask you guys about real quick is the union have done a, a really poor job tr- in the past of mining MLS for talent. Um, Chris yeah. Pontius is a notable exception, but uh, I guess I'm kind of curious for you guys, you know, leaving Jay Simpson aside, um, is there any, are there answers within MLS that the union could have looked to, and I think there are. And I just think that the more you look, drill down into how this roster is built, it really doesn't make sense as a team for 2017. Instead, it makes sense as a roster for, you know, maybe 2018 or 2019. That you can quickly say, okay, we found the guys we want. Um, let's discard all these other guys as quickly as possible.
1: Well, I would ask you that question. I mean, I think you you get to you watch a little bit more MLS than I do, just in, in terms of seeing a lot of other teams. So, I mean, can you name one or two players that you see that were maybe available or, or you know could be brought in that would help this team that are already in the league?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think there, there are obvious answers. I think the, the main problem for the union is always going to be, how do you get them to come to Philadelphia? Um, you know, how do you, how do you get like the, the Connor Casey, uh, but a few years off knocked off of him to, to commit to this project. And I think that's the tough part. Cause if you look at a guy like Will Bruin, that's a, that's going to be a pretty tough sell um, when he has other options. Um, you need to find someone like Pontius who's had a few down years, or you need to do a much better sales job saying, look, if you come here, you can be the guy. And I think when you, when you talk about doing the sales job type thing, you're talking about, um, you know, more of a guy like, uh, um, Either you know Patrick Mullins last year, or now uh, uh, you know someone like Eric Torres in the off season, where Houston now does have too many too many players up top, and they're rotating guys through. And Torres was potentially a uh, you know a bargain in the off season. Um, and and it's a it's a tough answer, but at the same time, teams other teams keep coming up with guys through MLS that'll give them options, um, both in the back and up top. I mean, you look at Toronto. Jim Curtin even said they were trying to. The Union made a player for Drew Moore before he went to Toronto. Um, so I, I think the union have to ask themselves, how do we be better about getting guys to MLS? Because that's a lower risk move than guys like Jay Simpson and the who, you know, not, not knocking the and he's been exactly what they said he would be. Um, right. But, but I think that's, that's where your low risk options are. If you want to build a successful roster for now.
0: So what I'm hearing you say, and I'm going to use a word, a dreaded word in Philadelphia these days, that there's much more of a process going on with the union than I think the front office is letting on. That they're much deeper into the long game than they were building on the playoff
1: appearance, turning around, improving. Well, no, I don't improving. think the front office has been shy about saying that, though. Uh, okay, well, maybe
0: then we in the media fans either just have expect, different...
1: You expect them to be able to compete with the team that they right. have on the field and do that in right, the background. Right, so that's had, that's we, the thing that we're getting.
0: We had different expectations or we misinterpret... We we're misinterpreting with how, how this team's being presented to us. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that, well, I mean the that, union you know. can't
1: say that we're tanking for two seasons. Maybe, like, the <laughs> 76ers can. Um, no. no. <laughs> I don't know. I, but, you know, are there the guys in the death chart that are, you know, a year, two, three years away that are going to come in, and you're going to be like, oh, yeah, this was worth waiting for. I don't – who are those guys right now? I mean, maybe Austin Trusty. Yeah, but nobody
0: – yeah, maybe, but nobody, like, in – Kind of in the creative attacking role. Right. At least not that I know, you know.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I thought um, Anthony Fontana was strong in preseason, but I have no idea how close he right. is to actually and, making a contribution to the, Yeah, and the there's Marcus Epps.
0: Squad. Marcus Epps, who everybody was kind of high on, but again, you don't know where he's okay. at. Um, and he was, you know, he was a lower draft pick, so you don't know where his expectations are. You don't know where he's at in his development. Um,
2: I, I guess I will say this I don't yeah. know that the Union are playing a long game. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it, it's it's the most charitable option that you can give now for <laughs> for the team that they have together because I I really think that once you once it was clear that Bedoya at the ten wasn't going to be a solution, it was incredible how quickly things fell apart.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's jump into some numbers because I have this big sheet of, okay. of salary numbers in front of you. You got
0: numbers, and I have another thing we can get to, and then uh, yeah, go ahead. You do the
1: numbers. All right, let's let, let, let's let's talk about some guys that are just a waste of money. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to pull any punches here. Why the hell are you paying Brian Carroll $130,000? No idea. If 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 you had you have Brian Carroll is a consummate professional, a very nice guy, a good locker room guy, a guy that. A lot of people thought might retire at the end of last season. A guy that's not made the 18 once this year. He's not played in Bethlehem. Maybe he's he's good to have around the younger guys. That's all terrific stuff. It's not worth $132,000 though.
0: Right? Just give him the coaching slash office job you're playing on. And, and if he, and he and still thinks
1: he's and, got some in the tank and he wants to play somewhere, that's where you make a business decision as a club and you say, Brian, you've been a great professional for us. There's just not that space for us here. We need the money to to bring yeah, in a younger we, guy. We need
0: the money, the space. And you know, you
1: know, union's not a charity. No, it's <laughs> and just professional Brian, sports. Brian Carroll, you know, like, and not not only did you, you're paying him one hundred thirty thousand dollars, you gave him a twelve thousand dollars raise over last year. Right? Why did oh you? Oh god. Him? <laughs> so I, I
0: I don't get that. Like I said, give him have have a you know sit down with the man, tell him all the things you just said, Mike. Give him that front office coaching job. Everybody knows that he's going to get eventually, and just. Gonna you know clear that cash off. It's not a ton of cash, but it's money you could use.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I particularly.
2: Mean, would your, the,
1: go ahead, Adam. Sorry.
2: No, no, no. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm just gonna rant and rave like you. Uh, <laughs> I just can't believe that you would give a guy a raise that's almost half of what you would, you know, pay to Derek Jones. And if you have Derek Jones and you think he's even twenty five percent ready to to play in MLS, then then you have so many options to play Brian Carroll's position that it just seems absurd to to keep that amount of money locked up on a guy that's that's just blocking the younger players from getting their chances.
1: Particularly when you're playing when you're paying Warren Craval just about the same amount of money. I have their, their their names are right next to each other on the sheet. So yeah. it's just like you're 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 spending $275,000 and they have 0 minutes between them mm-hmm. this year with Kreval making two appearances on the bench. <laughs> Wow, uh, <laughs> go on. Okay, let's let's go with a, a, another really big number on here. Um, I get, well, I'll get to Bedoya, but uh, El Sino, uh at four hundred and seventy thousand dollars against the cap. You gave him a forty thousand dollar raise from last year too, which uh, he earned that raise scoring two goals and having three assists last year, and, and predominantly the, coming off the bench. Right. Four hundred and seventy thousand dollars for that.
0: That's 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 a lot of money for 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 what you're getting
2: honestly you know there's 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 a lot of evidence that when people rate how valuable something is they think that something they own is more valuable just because they own it mm. um and and obviously the union don't own el seno but they they had him and they they clearly thought i guess they were making a decision based on uh the fact that he was a bit out of shape and injured most of last season but but man you would really hope that they would they would desire some more evidence before going all in on him. When that money looks really good as stuff that you could spend on a creative player and yeah. and put Bedoya in a more natural position from the start.
1: Um, well, let's. Uh, I mean, the Marisa Do number is sad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, you know, he's getting paid it's three quarters there. of a million dollars, and he's not played since 2015. It's, it's what it is at this point. I mean, I, I I know I feel the frustration when Union fans talk about it, and you know we've talked about it at nauseum on this show. Um, you feel for the guy. I don't know what you can do with it at this point. He's your second highest paid player on the team, and he's not played for two years. So I mean, we'll just we'll just be disappointed with that and move on. <laughs> um, <laughs> Alejandro Bedoya, you're paying 1.2 million dollars. Yeah, for basically. His best trait as a player throughout his career is that he's a utility midfielder. He can, he can play across the field. He's very flexible. He's very flexible. He's never been a high goal assist guy.
0: I like Allie. I, I think some of the things Adams put out there, if you kind of do that, I think you're going to get the most out of him. I was really shocked when they signed him because that was – it felt like a holdover from – the Sakevich error that they made a big run for him. It came up short for every reason. reasons. A lot of stories about that. And he just said, eh, you win you win some, you lose some, you move on. And the, the the balls start rolling again and and I I never thought that I mean it's obviously they didn't. I never thought they had a plan for him. And it doesn't look like they ever did. And I'm not sure why they why they went back to him. Again, I like Alley. I think they could really get the best out of him if they just work and find the best role for him, and which they haven't done. But I think it's out there. I think it's possible on this team.
1: Yeah, I think he, I think you he's know. the twenty second highest paid player in the league.
0: Too. Right. So I'm just racking my brain as to why they felt to spend that much money make him their first million dollar player.
2: At, at, hopefully, they're getting some sort of marketing benefits out of it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, mean I, I I agree with you, Greg. That he he did. He ticks a lot of boxes if you if you think of him as a a guy who who is going to be responsible and help out a young defense um, and a young team in general. And he's going to bring the leadership skills that you want. He's going to bring the level of effort that you want. He's going to bring the the name recognition that you know. I think the union's probably looking at and saying, hey, if if we want to you know become a viable player, uh, we we'll need to expand. You know who knows about us, and one way to do that is to sign U.S. internationals. Um, and I think he also picks the box really well. If, if you look at your roster last year and say, hey, we have, uh, you know, defensive midfielders that we're probably not going to bring back as starters. We have a number ten that we know is not coming back as a you know on this team at all. He's going back home, and we have Alejandro Bedoya, who is, who is, if nothing else, a consistently excellent linking player. You know, a guy who is who is going to make sure that the dudes who, create. Um, are given the space to create. He's going to run off of them really well. He's going um, to help everyone do their job a little bit better. So to the extent that you look at his signing and say, well, this is the first piece to fall in place, and now we're going to build the midfield knowing that he is, you know, one of the three anchors, I think that makes sense. I think getting Bedoya for that much money and then saying, yeah, we'll just kind of like see where he fits and assume that we paid him enough, therefore he's going to create. Is is just something where you'd walk at a meeting and go like, "Are, are those guys serious?" <laughs>
0: wow.
3: Radio. Dot com.
1: Going back to the the, the numbers here, I, th- I think there, there's a couple of good numbers on here um, that that you can. Point to and say that that's 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 a decent that's a decent number for that guy to be on. You know, you see Giuliano Alonzo Monaldum at sixty five thousand dollars. That's a that's a pretty mm-hmm. pretty pretty a lot deep, lower than I thought it would be. Honestly, yeah, I, I was said, I was worried that yeah, he was going to be like a two hundred thousand yeah. dollars guy. I mean, it, that's that's a low risk move for a guy that maybe you can have float around Bethlehem for the year. You can hopefully you know mold him into an MLS player, and maybe he can take Fabinho's job next year. And if he can do that, maybe you can bump him up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aguchi and Yewu is on the, the veteran uh minimum at yeah. 65,000. No, no, no um, big shock, yeah. yeah. I, th- I think that's that's a, that's a pretty reasonable number for the, the union, not knowing where he was going to be after two years off. Um, yeah, I, that, those, those, are but, but let me ask you guys yeah.
2: this I mean, those, those numbers are, those are good numbers, absolutely. But are, are they numbers that are necessitated by some of the earlier numbers you read? Yeah, there? they might be. Mm. I mean, Oguchi with it's a great deal. He comes in. And he goes, "Yeah, I'll play for sixty five. he You go, "Well, that's perfect because we're we're dropping you know four hundred. We're dropping eight hundred and sixty-five thousand
1: dollars on Pontius and Simpson. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And and we're and we're committing a bunch to Brian Carroll to be a, to be the most highly paid coach on our staff.
1: There,
0: yeah, there you go. Um, so I, I'm going to wrap it up soon, but I, I think want I get to get to this, when we bring this up every week um, Jim Curtin, he's, you know, they had a, you know, they got one point out of a road, of a homestand outscored eight to four. Um, and a couple games were, you know, the Portland game that were never really in it, even though they opened the scoring. I thought after that Portland just kind of kept them at arm's length. Uh, you know, and you blew a three nothing lead at home and got one point out of that game.
1: And, it's, and, it's... and I
0: think we've said this before, and I think we kind of laid it out tonight that there's not one thing wrong with this team. There's several things, and the blame for all that kind of goes around. But Ernie Stewart's not getting fired. You're not firing your roster. How much longer does Jim Curtin have? I throw it to you, Adam. He's throwing it to me, great. Right <laughs> uh, I've already answered that question yeah, he, so many times, yeah, man. Seriously,
2: <laughs> step on true. up. This is true. Uh, this is true. Uh, he he doesn't have much longer, but at the same time, it, the the more I listen to the players on the team, the more I, I do think that the firing Jim Curtin will be a signal that the season is over.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, they they do seem to believe in him, and I think that for Ernie Stewart having. A guy like Curtin who can who can take the hits and keep getting up, and and really never sort of show any ego in that process is is pretty important given where the club looks like it is right now. Um, and I also think that that making a change without having a real answer ready is worrying. Mm-hmm. And and my final thought is that. MLS is a league where, and you saw with D.C. bringing in Mullins last year, and Ladero, of course, is a great player coming to Seattle, where if you, if you do get that one transfer that you really knock out of the park, um, it can it change the whole positions season. of yeah. a club. Yeah, and, and I think that giving Jim Curtin the chance to get to that point is probably worth it at least so that if you're going to make a move, you can do like Seattle and make the move at the same time you make a coaching move right. and say, all right, this is a fresh start built around this new player. And we're going to have this guy pushing, you know, pushing us forward. And so I think that I would, I would be surprised if things stay the way they are. And Jim Curtin stays past long past when the transfer window opens, mm-hmm. but I, I'm not sure I see the sense in dumping him right now, given, given that he does, I mean, he takes these lumps so well and, and, and this team doesn't have the pieces to, to suddenly become great right now. No. Um, they could become a bit more competitive maybe, become less leaky. But ha- how much does that get you now given where you are and the fact that you're still riding a goal-scoring striker who who's coming off in, you know, an easily uh, barren period last season?
0: I think you uh, you make a point I kind of made last week that you, on on this team currently you don't have – I think Patoy is starting to kind of mold into that, but you don't have Sebastian Latou who put put on that shirt with pride. Even Trickillo Barnetta, who just every game just kind of fought for the crest and fought for the shirt. And these things can be overrated. I get that, but you, you just don't have that feeling that you have a lot of guys that are kind of out there just fighting and clawing. And the one guy you do have that that does that is Jim Curtin. Is he's the guy that I think. Is proud to be the coach of the Philadelphia Union. You know, puts on the the suit every week and gets on that sideline and kind of has that pride of you know pride of place and pride of you know commitment to this team. And I think you laid it out well. Like he 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 stands there and he's taking punch after punch after punch in these press conferences and everything and and it's tough to watch. But he's kind of you know he's really taking it for the team right now.
1: I think one of the other things too is I'd love to see a little bit more emotion out of Jim um, yeah. on the sideline in the and in the presser. Uh, I thought I thought Bedoya presser after the the, the draw on uh, on Saturday spoke a lot to his character. It was you know he was blunt. He was he was very clearly disappointed with the result. Uh, it, you know the the frustration was so obvious. And it doesn't always come across that way when Jim talks, mm-hmm. and I, I I don't know if if he doesn't want to show that side, if he doesn't think that that's the side of himself that it's worth showing to the press and worth showing to the fans. But I, I really do think it, w- it would go a little way at this point, where it, if he sat up there and was like, "This is this is absurd," I need more out of my guys. Yeah, it,
0: it would, but I, I think, and I, I tend to agree with you, but I think the flip side of the argument is he wants to keep an even keel. He doesn't want to. Because I think, for better or worse. Coaches, uh, teams kind of take the coach's personality a little bit, and I don't think he wants to throw these guys into a panic.
1: I agree with you. I, th- I think I, it's time to throw the guys into a panic. I, I agree with you. have not I, won I, in 14 I, games. I agree with you. Let's that.
0: friggin' panic. And I've been saying that. I think, I think guys are too comfortable. <laughs> I think the locker room's a little too comfortable, and I think if you can make the case for moving the curtain is, would be to bring in a guy that would, as Mike said, throw the chair across the locker room and kind of shake guys up a little yeah. bit. So I, I, I think, the devil's advocate argument to that is he's trying to kind of hold everything together. You know, yeah. he's the guy, you know, just, just trying to hold, you know, he's, he's, he's Chevy Chase in, Va- in the vacation movies, man. He's everything's falling apart around him. He's got to keep the family together. That's kind of what Jim is doing right now. So I I, I, I think that's what you're saying. It's a strange analogy. Well, I, I apologize. I, know, but... I think that makes total
2: sense.
1: <laughs> I love the, the, yeah, the like Lampoon a... movies. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, never, never back down from a Lampoon right now. <laughs> <laughs> Not on this podcast. Um. (laughs) Um, But I I guess one thing I would add to that is is Jim Curtin has. I I I think what's worrying about the the point that Mike makes about Jim Curtin not showing much emotion is that he has made quite a few changes since the beginning of the year. If you look back at all the different ways he's approached games, he's made you know the high press wasn't something we really expected to see, and he pulled it out against New York City, and it actually went pretty well for you know about forty five minutes. He's made a bunch of personnel changes on the field. I think Mm -hmm. the Rosenberry move was one that people didn't really expect him to make. And so I think it would be one thing for him to get angry and say, hey, I expect more from these guys. But I'm not convinced that Jim Curtin is the type of guy who says things he doesn't believe. And I, I think that he isn't actually sure that there's a lot more to ask from the guys that he has. I don't think that I think he could say, you know, they need to make better
3: decisions.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I know. And that's that's what's kind of worrying. I I think this is a team that you need everyone to play. It's the same as early Jim Curtin teams. Everyone's got to play perfect for them to get points. And if they don't, then he has to keep making tweaks. And he has kept making tweaks. And it's I wish I saw the frustration from him because that would signal to me that he really thinks he could, he should be squeezing more out of these guys. But instead you just see like sort of a level of confusion. Like I, like it's sort of, I know these guys can execute, they execute part of the time in games and then they don't. Mm -hmm. And that sort of confidence thing is, is hard to coach once it's gone. And it's probably, you know, uh, you know, you guys are both hockey fans, you know, it's sort of like pulling the goalie. Um, Jim Curtin keeps trying to pull the goalie in different ways. Um, and and doesn't doesn't seem to be able to pull the right goalie. I guess.
0: Yeah. Uh, Hope he uh, doesn't
2: pull Andre Blake.
0: Well, no, no. And I'm going we're gonna leave you soon. Uh, thanks for hanging so long with us tonight. But the, the one question it's starting uh, very. Uh, I'm gonna wrap it up on this question on the point you brought up about you know Seattle bringing it you know hitting it out of the park with with a with that transfer last year and even early this year. Chicago looking like looking great with Schweinsteiger bringing bringing Bastian Schweinsteiger to really kind of energize that team and you know I think a little bit of that was set up in the in the preseason in the offseason, season with getting McCarthy too but just kind of bringing in that big signing to really solidify that team given what we we were just looking at in their salaries do we have confidence? that they got that in their back pocket that they can roll out in June
2: is is that for me or for mike first that's for the that's, uh, that's for
0: the field i'm throwing it out there to everybody
2: all right mike i went first last time
1: <laughs> i mean no yeah i i haven't seen it yet i've uh, not seen it last season really or or this mm-hmm. season um that they they can identify the the guy that they need that would hit it out of the park um, and then have the money to pay him. So I'm not super excited that they could do it.
2: Adam? Yeah, I I, I think Chicago's a great example of a team that it was hard to figure out exactly what they were building for until they brought in Schweinsteiger, until they sort of put him as an advanced midfielder, and until he showed that he could make that adjustment and really thrive there, which so far he's done well. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's an example of a guy, of a team, you know, that, You know, Seattle still looked like they had a they had a good squad that was underperforming last year before Lodero came in. It he sort of uh, even after he came in, they still had to make some tweaks and figure out you know where's Morris going to go and I guess we'll we'll put a striker who doesn't score in between him and uh, whoever else we play on the wing. Um, But Chicago is a team that just didn't look like they had a coherent roster until they brought in Schweinsteiger, and I Mm -hmm. think that's what the Union have. And so I'm not confident that given the moves they made. given the clear needs that they had in the off season that they have an answer. But the flip side of that is maybe they did have an answer in the off season and they couldn't get the deal done. And so, yeah, now they do have that deal sitting there waiting. Um, But, but yeah, you look at those salary numbers and you, you just really have to ask, you know, what, what signals do we have from past experience that make us think that they really do have that ready and there aren't that many. So they could surprise us. But I think if you're just going on what we've seen over the past two transfer windows or so, um, it's it's tough to make the argument that we should expect that.
0: Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you, and I think just pointing at that roster, you know, giving half a million dollars to Jay Simpson doesn't tell me that there's um there's that flexibility and that desire to get that get that new guy in in the summer transfer. I mean, they, again, they could they could you know. They could prank us all and just, boom, drop something massive right in the middle of us. I mean, we're hoping roster. that they do. They, no, that's they, that's they could. fun for any of us. That's, that's conceivable. But just looking at some of these salary numbers, and the Moe Do thing, it is what it is. Like I said, he's hurt. Not much you can do about that right now. But, you know, Madunian at, you know, 400 k El Senio at what he's getting. Half a million dollars for Jay Simpson. It, it, it's just you don't feel like they have that flexibility to make that big move again. They could do things to clear some space out. They could get some cash from uh, from the owner. Just bang here's five mil. Do something. You know they could get that. You don't know. You don't know if it's in the offing. But just with the evidence in front of us, I don't see. it. And on yeah, that I mean, note, I, I, <laughs> go ahead. yeah, I,
2: I would close by saying this: if the union do what. Um, I heard you guys say during the off season they should do, or they we expected them to do, which was bring in a number six, bring in a striker, figure out where Bedoya goes, and if he's not a central midfielder, bring in an attacking midfielder. I think those are still the moves, and and you know defensive depth piece, like all of the things that we expected them to do in the off season that they didn't do, uh, or that they did on either like on the cheap or sort of in a in a slightly offbeat way. Let's put it that way. If they do those things, I still think. You know, we there is like sort of a, a very clear game plan out there for how they could become competitive, and the fact that they're not following it um, on the one hand makes you think, well, maybe they're geniuses and they're playing this long game, and you know they know something we don't know. On the other hand, it makes you go, wait, why aren't they doing the obvious moves?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I, I don't, I have no answers either way.
0: All right. <laughs> well, this was another upbeat one, boys. On, on that note, uh, <laughs> I want to thank Adam Khan wait wait, Fo- wait, 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 yeah, wait.
1: wait, wait. They're gonna chide us serious? on Twitter are if we don't serious? do the predictions. People oh, ask. God. I mean, I don't. I don't. I don't oh. know what they expect to hear from us. Oh, God. Galaxy two nil for me.
0: Um, Galaxy's really bad. They though. are. They're really. How are did Kurnanoff are... get another job? That's what I want to know. That's one of the great mysteries. <laughs> I'm He almost ruined DC United. He screwed them up for Not two years. Did he years. get another job?
1: He got. Uh,
0: one a of a the best franchises You got the you got the marquee gig in MLS. I mean, having um, like me said that, Frank yellow getting over the job, right? Uh, mm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I'm going to say one-one because I could I could see this game being like kind of the the soccer equivalent of like four yards and a cloud of smoke and just these <laughs> two like just two goals just kind of dribble in somehow one, one <laughs> team for. It, it, it's tough to predict when, like two bad teams play each other. You can. Never, it's tough to predict kind of what's going to happen. Yeah. this could be one-one. This could be five-four goal fest, sure. Goals all over the place. But I'm, I'm happy I'm, it's I'm, at
1: ten thirty on Saturday, and I will be a couple of beers deep by the time it starts. <laughs> you know
0: me I'm going to settle. I'm going to say one-one. Okay,
1: Adam, you got one? Uh,
2: yeah, I'm. I'm going to say two-one LA. Two-one seems to be the the Union's go-to score this year. And I mean, what they've gone six straight to ga- six straight games allowing more than one yeah. goal. Yeah. Um, and, and also watching, watching LA play last week, it, it was clear that their, their biggest issues were tracking runners through midfield just because Jermaine Jones, you know, doesn't matter who he's paired with. He's doing what he wants. And if,
0: if, <laughs> we've seen I, that I'm, before.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know exactly what the union are going to be able to do to put LA's midfield in the type of situations that Seattle did. So I'm, I'm lack the confidence right now that they can, uh, they can create, but at the same time, the union Every single chance except the first one the union got last weekend was from a set piece. It was either from a corner directly or off of a corner coming back out and getting sent back in. I was so happy to so, see uh, that they just
1: dumped the ball in the yeah. box this week and they dished all the the fancy training ground plays. When when you're a team struggling, that's what you got to do. Yeah, it's it's not yeah, pretty, so, it's, but it's I, how Stoke has stayed in the Premier League for <laughs> <seriously>. ten years. <laughs> <laughs> seriously, yeah. All right. Speaking
2: of which, Tony P- Tony Pulis' son is, is coaching in the U.S. Maybe he's an option. Anthony <laughs> oh, Pulis, wow.
0: isn't he Tampa Bay's coach? I'll I'll take that on the right. revisor. Yeah. Thank yeah. you very That's much. No. Uh, all right, Adam. I'm, I'm not.
2: I want to be yeah. clear. Not yeah. advocating <laughs> Jim Curdy getting
0: fired. At least not for Tony Pulis' son. All right. I think we'll wrap it on <laughs> up wrap it up on now. I think Adam Khan joining us Good for to this, talk to you buddy. for this. This is becoming like group therapy now uh, every it is. week. This uh, isn't it's, even it's cathartic. Yeah, this is like this is kind of where we're at. Um but thank everybody uh, for listening if you stuck around this long and we'll catch you all next week. Um